And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. I'm going to be hitting some legends, lore, and debunking today, I think. Wow. <laughs> when we, when we get around to it. Whole trifecta. Uh, we both have pretty busy schedules of late. Oh, yes. I like that I say that like that's different from it's what... It's not. It's yeah. all the time. No, it's, we say that every time. We've been really busy lately, guys. You guys, we don't even see each other. <laughs> no, I mean, like, we see each other through the Zoom like, screen. <laughs> right, but, like, in person, it's, like, once every six months. No, it's not. Maybe we, two, three? <laughs> Sometimes we, we, we hit it really well. It's, that's I think, what she said. That's what she said. I think lately there's just been, like, a lot more shenanigans going on. Um, I'm wrapping a lot of spring stuff up, you know, you've got all kinds of crazy things going on. Um, it's, it's been a time. Uh, I did actually, part of my crazy time was I got to guest lately on a super awesome podcast. Nice. Uh, Strange Eons Radio. They, uh, talk about movies and, and film and everything in between. Uh, it's a really good time. It's, uh, some, some Crypticon friends and Vanessa, who is normally the third host, she is on her honeymoon. Ooh. And so, uh, I stepped in for their next two episodes that will be coming out. So, uh, you can go check that out. You'll get to see me talk about some horror films. Both of the topics for the themes of the movies were ones I picked, um, I, uh, will be talking on one about the movie Return to Oz and on the other <gasps> about Psycho 2. Ooh, I love Return to Oz. That's such a good movie. It's such a good, well, you should listen to the episode. I'll send it to you when it comes okay. out. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. But uh, we'll post on our social media as well so you can take a look. But it's, you know, it honestly, it's a really cool podcast. Like I've been listening to a bunch of their back episodes to prep and I kind of forget how awesome it is. It's really fun. Uh, Eric, Kelly, and Vanessa are awesome. So I was really, really a delight to be able to guest for them. That's so cool. Yeah. Love a guest moment. Love a guest moment. Just like sharing sharing the wealth of knowledge and getting to like splurge together. It's like we had a guest in our last, last episode. Now we have Yay. you want a guest in, in another episode or different podcast. It's so cool. Well, and it's, it's kind of fun sometimes to like try on somebody else's format and topics. <laughs> I was going to say like shoes or pants. It is. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, it's dressing up on a Saturday night. You don't need to do it all the time, but it's, it's fun sometimes to get all dolled up and you know <laughs> talk about horror films Love talk it. about horror films that's what i that's what i do in my spare time that's that's uh that's kim's idea <clears throat> of a good time friends so call me no don't call me <laughs> that'd be weird they all have your phone number kim they do uh, <laughs> some do actually uh yeah. that's true but uh yeah that's very cool love yeah. that call kim um but <laughs> that's our hashtag call kim Call Cam. Yeah. People are going to be so confused if they haven't listened to this and they just see Call Cam like, but why? What, what, is she okay? Is, is she, are we calling her from the spirit world? What's <laughs> happening? Who are you going to call? Kim. <laughs> Stupid. Do you like that? Yeah, I was so excited too. <laughs> just fully like monotone Kim. Kim. <laughs> that one's for you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Well, our topic today, uh, it's got a little, little something for everyone. Uh, you got a hint of cryptid if you, like, squint and tilt your head. 
Ooh. I will say, I went into this thinking it was going to be a little more cryptid than it actually ended up being. Aww. Um, you get some true crime. Uh, mighty dose of weirdness. Uh, I, w- I will say, this was a nightmare to research. Oh, fun. I might crack a new record <coughs> for, for my... For the one record I sent previously for myself, in terms of contradictory accounts. Oh, really? Yeah, and I say this as as the you know the same person who did the Bender Family episode, which was <gasps> basically one big lesson in conflicting reports. Yep. Um, no, uh, uh, newspapers were not a source because they were so filled with inaccuracies. There's just not great records. There was the common story that get passed around. There's details that turns out may not be true. Uh, did you know Bigfoot was not actually a term until the 1950s? Wait, hold on. Are we covering Bigfoot in this episode? Because I'm a little really excited <laughs> that you just mentioned that just now. We're not covering Bigfoot, but it is mildly Bigfoot adjacent. Oh, Okay. This is the cryptid sidestep. (laughs) No, Uh, small foot. This is the the kind of cryptid factor that's it's not really cryptid, but it does sort of play into some cryptidness. Um, Sasquatch was not seen in print until 1929. Oh, what did get talked about, however, were wild men. Oh, sometimes called (laughs) feral men. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've met those. It might not be the kind you were thinking. <laughs> Listen, I've been to clubs in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> you're welcome for that. Sorry, New Jersey. But also, not sorry, not sorry. Yeah, like, <laughs> Your can choice. you deny that? That's mm, no. By the 19th century, there had only been a handful of sightings of big apes in North America, and most are believed to have been feral white men. I feel like there's so many jokes that I there's can throw at this. So many jokes. And I'm jokes. trying to hold my tongue so badly because I feel like you're just gonna get mad at me if I keep making jokes about it. So I'm just gonna literally hold you just you gotta like make sure that it's worth you gotta the payoff needs to be right. It needs to be good. Okay. Okay. You can't okay. you can't just throw out the 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 casual ones. You gotta you gotta nail it. That's what she said? Thank you. I was waiting for that. That was I set you up for I was that. like, am I na- am I nailing it? You're nailing it. <laughs> In 1914, the Daily Capital Journal wrote, What a white man will do or will not do is one of the things that is not only beyond finding out, but is without the pale of guesswork. Oh, my God. That's still accurate. I know. I, I feel like I need to issue a blanket apology to the white men. Because do you, though? No. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So when I, when I started researching this, this case, the, the specific individual we're going to be talking about, I did come across a bunch of instances of these white men or feral men. And I, again, I, I say men. Most were men. But you did see cases of women um, in both the United States and beyond. Uh, one that oh. came up was the, the wild man of the Navidad, uh, sometimes referred to as the first Bigfoot sighting in Texas. It started in the late 1830s. It continued until the 1950s. And at this point, so the, the reports were of a man covered in, in hair, and it's sometimes called black hair. Sometimes it was brownish hair. But he was very agile, and he lived in the, the river bottoms. Allegedly, he would break into homes and steal goods, steal food, steal things. Now, 
There's no real records, it seems like, but the legend says that they did eventually catch this wild man. There's variations on who he actually was, but it did seem to be that he was was either an escaped slave or someone from Africa who didn't speak English. Now, I don't know if this is like something at all rooted in truth or something rooted in more like racism. Uh, it's I was just going to say, <laughs> yeah. I'm holding my tongue so no, hard No, you don't right need now. to hold your tongue. It's, it's, when I read this, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, yeah. Um, there's the story of uh, Ishii, and he's kind of an interesting one. Uh, he's sometimes referred to as the, quote, last wild Indian. And I will say his story was kind of fascinating. His family and tribe were wiped out because white people. Um, but he's Again, the reason why <laughs> white men not afraid to say anything bad about them. <laughs> but he spent at least three years by himself in the wilderness. And he emerged from the forest in 1911. Uh, he ended up, like, started working as a janitor in this museum. And he loved it. Uh but his story is, is really interesting. It was one where I was like, again, this is a very cool story and not something I'd ever, I hadn't heard before. Uh, there's a history of stories about feral men in the Smoky Mountains. Stories that were told far beyond, like, turn of the century, like, well into the late 1900s. Uh, Dennis Martin was a six-year-old boy who disappeared in 1969. And he's actually in my notebook of, of possible cases I'm looking to cover at some point. Uh, he was with his family in the Smoky Mountains when he disappeared. And there is a theory he was taken by a feral man or a wild man. And you can go down a huge YouTube and Reddit rabbit hole on this. Uh, and it, I mean, like that these wild men still live in the mountains and they still livestock and they still children. Uh, it's, it's kind of nuts, but there is just this history of, of people living in the wilderness and some are, you know, just kind of mountain men living their lives, but others resemble something more akin to the Bigfoot story and looking more like the Bigfoot's. <laughs> That we would hear about. And that you would, know and love. That you know and love and would become legend. So I didn't realize how late Bigfoot as a term kind of came into our vernacular. Uh, this idea that it was something more ape-like seems to be a, a more modern concept, at least in our culture, and it's not that the Bigfoot legends and the Sasquatch and the Yetis didn't exist, but the the kind of obsession with it was much later. But I'm going to be talking about a specific man today, um, one who has a lot of legend and lore surrounding him. It's a man named John Torno, the wild man of the Wainochi, or the wild man of the Oxbow. This is another story that takes place in our very own Washington State. Yeah, you said Wenatchee, right? No, not Wenatchee. Wainochi. Oh, Wainochi. See, I don't have my names correct. I apologize. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, again, I, I love my local stories. But um, Wainochi is in more of the, like, southern part of the Olympic Forest, the Olympic Peninsula. Yeah. So you've never been then, I take it. 
I've been to the Olympic Peninsula, but mm-hmm. I've not been to the southern part. I've only been to the northern part by like the whole rainforest. Yeah, and more and the forks. park area. Yeah. I've been to the national park where you can like walk through it, right. go on paths. There's like an ocean side thing that you can go to, but I haven't gone south. And this part of the, the forest end. is not really part of the park. Um, mm. So now the Torno family originally came to America from Germany in 1968. Uh, they settled in various locations before they ended up in the upper Satsop in Washington state. There's the Satsop river and that's where John Torno spent a lot of time. Uh, this was sometime between 1882 or 1883. Michael John Torno was born September 4th of 1880 to Louisa and Frederick, also known as Fritz Daniel in Iowa. Uh, and he would have been a toddler when his family arrived in the Pacific Northwest. He would also adopt his middle name of John as his primary name. Now the, the family had a lot of tragedy in their life. By the time John was 10, his mother had already lost two children and had four stillbirths. Rough. But there were ultimately uh, five children, four surviving sons and one surviving daughter. John was probably closest to his older sister, Minnie. Uh, She was 14 years old when he was born And it was with her that he first started experiencing the woods. She got married in 1885. John would have been only five at this point, and he continued going into the woods by himself more frequently. Okay. I mean, you know, you thought you were a latchkey kid and had problems like (laughs) this kid. It's all Uh, about perspective. All about perspective. This This is like when... You know, kids in our generation were complaining, I'm coming home by myself to a you know, empty house. And like, in my day, we went around the woods when we were five, both ways. Both ways, not just one. <laughs> not just one, both ways. In the snow. In the snow. At the age of 10, he contracted black measles, uh, which Ooh. I had never heard of. Have you ever heard of black measles? No, but it sounds really intense. Yeah, so it's sometimes called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and apparently you get it from ticks. Oh, no, it's not Lyme disease? It's not Lyme disease, it's different, but it became known as black measles because, I guess, near the end stages, um, the rash you get turns black. Oh! <laughs> Which, that's horrifying. It could also be fatal. That does not sound like a good time. So, he did survive this, uh, but he developed a lisp, and he was very self-conscious about it, and he preferred to spend time by himself. Now, Minnie gave birth to a couple children. She had, uh, I think it was two daughters, and then twin boys, Will and John. She named her son after her favored brother. And uh, Brother John, (laughs) there's a lot of similar names in this story. Brother John would stop by to visit her and the children. Um, Minnie's husband, Henry, didn't really like John, thought he was kind of odd. Okay. Now, the Seattle Times ran a story that his brother, Ed, killed John's dog. Oh, no. And John then took revenge against Ed's dog by shooting him in return. (gasps) Oh, no. Here's the thing, though. The story was pretty consistently passed around, but I don't know if it was passed around because it happened or if it's something that was told after the fact and got passed around then. 
Like, okay, so one newspaper, the Spokane Press, gave an account, and it, I don't know, it's kind of extra. So according to them, Ed went out hunting one day with a few of, of the hounds, and John's favorite was this older dog, but, you know, he loved this dog. And when Ed came back, he did not have John's beloved dog with him. And John asked what happened, and Ed allegedly responded, I got tired of having that dog of yours give out on me and having to carry him home, so I shot him. <gasps> oh, my God. I hate these stories. I know. I know. Oh, no. Ed does not look <coughs> great in this. Just full stop. Ed does not look great. Um, the article continued. At that instant, there came to the ears of the brothers the joyful yapping of a hound. It was Aww. Ed's thoroughbred, a beautiful Aww. bitch, delighted that her master had returned <laughs> and hurrying to his side. The graceful animal raced across a distant field and gathered her muscles to clear the fence. She leapt, and when she was in midair, John Torno's rifle cracked. It was a <gasps> wonderful shot from the hip, and the hound fell and lay still, a oh. bullet through the heart. No! I hate this story! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, like, okay, so all of this is just a little bit much. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but... Okay, I don't know. Um, it's just, it's just kind of extra. Particularly given that he apparently responded with, I'm going back into the woods and I ain't never coming out. Don't send for me. I won't come. Don't come after me. I'll kill you if you do. Okay, hold on, though. Like, I can talk to you all day about true crime about people dying, but the second you start talking about dogs and people are talking about dogs dying... Sure. I understand that response about wanting to go into the woods and never being found again. But do you remember how old he is? He's an old dude. No, he's 10. Oh, why did I think he was old? I don't know. <laughs> I think I got confused for a moment. He was he's 10. 10. So and the 10 year old shot the dog. Well, his brother shot the dog first, and then John then shot, he the, shot dog. the dog. But, yeah. the, but his brother, I had to look this up on Ancestry to get the date straight. His brother is younger than him. So that's a bunch of children with Ed guns shooting dogs. Eight. Ed would have been eight. Does this sound like an exchange between an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old? I mean, the verbiage definitely doesn't, but also, what kind of eight- and ten-year-olds are running around with guns? Um, hi, it's the frontier in the early 1900s. <laughs> All of them. Every single one of them. But I'm the, just very disconnected, and I'm too sensitive about hearing about I dogs just, getting shot. It just felt... <sighs> Uh, when I uh, when I first heard the story, I did not realize. I thought Ed was older, and I was like, "It okay. sounded like it." No, when I looked the birth date up, because I'd seen a reference to him being younger, and I was like, "Wait a minute! If Ed was younger and John was ten, that does not make sense." So I struggle with this story. It, I don't know. It feels a little bit too much like George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. That's fair. And it sounds like the kind of thing that fits into the narrative later once a lot of events have happened to try and make someone look a certain way. Painting a picture, if you will. Painting a picture, particularly if you're the person who's still alive at the end to paint that picture. Yep. I will just say that. Okay. Um, now, when he was 10, he did start spending more time in the woods. That we know. That is, that, is, that is fact. And, I mean, sometimes he'd be gone for days and days at a time. Uh, 
the other brothers got interested in logging. They worked for some of the other local families. There were some disputes with some of the families about logging and land and rights and all that. As he got older, John would log with his brothers sometimes, um, but he refined his shooting skills. He gained a reputation for his accuracy. The sheriff would later say of John's shooting abilities, I have never seen Tornos equal with a rifle, and there are many good shots in this section. He never wastes a cartridge. If he were standing in a road 10 feet wide with thick brush on both sides and 20 deer were to try to cross the road at full speed one after another, he would get them all at 200 yards. That's a sharpshooter for a child. Well, and at this point, he's, you know, a, a teenager and an adult male. But uh, he, he had a, a superb shooting skills. Now, at some point, he withdrew himself even further. He was living in a cabin in the woods. Uh, he became a proficient fisherman. There were some reports he learned some skills from members of a couple of the uh, indigenous tribes. In August of 1909, his father died. Now, if the papers are to be believed, he did not attend the funeral. But I also read that he didn't attend because no one told him about it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, well, and that would do it. <laughs> Yeah, that would make that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so here's where things start to get a little bit weird. One of the books I read, uh, John Torno, Villamer Victim, The Untold Story of the Wild Man of the Winochi by um, Bill Lindstrom. Uh, it was a frustrating source. Frustrating Why? because this dude spent decades researching, talking to family, but he chose to wrote the book as um, dramatizing, like, conversations and some of the events like you've read some like this before yeah they don't make for great sources no and it's hard to tell what actually happened versus what's dramatized and i feel like it's written for entertainment as opposed to for like context or information and i think he was trying to make it more accessible but the problem was there were sections where i'm like i'm trying to verify that this is true but i'm struggling um, and I know dates and I know events happened, but it, it just, it made it really rough to use as a source. I could use it as kind of like verifying if dates matched up or if names sure. or something. I'm like, great. But Bill Lindstrom is, is probably the dude that's done the most research of almost anyone I found on John Torno. Mm-hmm. I'd piece together what he said in interviews or other sources, um, but it was just, it was a lot harder to kind of suss out which parts were, were genuine fact and which were things that he was kind of dramatizing. Um, sure. And, and again, I, I know that, that it's trying to make it engaging, but from a research standpoint, it just sucks. Uh, so he writes about growing tension between John and his brothers, particularly his brother, Ed. Part of what contributed to this was that Ed was allegedly having an affair with his niece. Oh, no. Yeah. This would be his sister's younger... It was his sister's daughter. I can't remember if this was the youngest daughter because there was two daughters. Um, She was 24 in 1910. And this allegedly started uh, four years prior. So she would have been 20. And Edward was only four years older than her. But he is still her uncle. That's still weird. It's still weird. So next thing you know, Mary's pregnant. Oh, no. Incest. Yeah. 
Uh, and then baby. his mother, Louisa Torno, she would die in late 1910. And according to reports, John came to the service, but he stayed at the edge of the clearing. Uh, he was close to his mother, so I doubt he would have missed out on the ceremony if he had a choice. But I could also see him wanting to kind of stay removed from the rest of the family. Yeah. Um, Mary's getting further along. She goes to see a Dr. Stapp about her pregnancy. And she had a blood condition that she was a little concerned about. On December 2nd, uh, tragedy struck. Mary's body would be found in a boarding house, dead. Oh, no. In what was described as suspicious circumstances. She had died the day before in a botched abortion. Oh, no. The abortion would be traced back to Dr. Robert Stapp, the doctor she had been seeing. He'd actually served nine months in jail for Mary's death. And, of course, though, like, they can't print that she had an abortion. Um, The newspapers would say things like, Mary Bauer died in this city several months ago under... Painful circumstances. I mean, yeah, you're dead. Of course it was painful. They, they talked around it a lot because nobody wanted yeah. to say girl was getting an abortion. Um, also, folks, oh, I don't feel like getting more political today, but you all know what I'm thinking. <sighs> okay. <sighs> um, now, accounts say at this point that his family felt he was not behaving rationally. I read a section on John Torno in the Pacific Northwest Quarterly that was published in 1944. It told a story of how a neighbor found him um, at his cabin by the creek. It was raining. There was water going from the roof into a barrel that had been positioned nearby and that Torno was also getting water from the creek because he said he needed to have a lot of water. This is apparently one of the things they used to make him declared unfit. Which, if that's our bar, is kind of low. Low? (laughs) Um, One possibility is Edward was looking for an excuse to get his brother out of the picture. At this point, other than being a loner and kind of odd, people didn't talk about being bothered by John Torno. Like, everybody knew him, and they just kind of accepted him. Like, he could have a little bit of a temper, but otherwise, you know... I don't know, that's John. He's kind of a weird one, lives out in the woods. Oh, well. But it gets a little weirder. (laughs) Oh, I love when things get weird. Well, okay, so he may have been sent to a sanitarium. One said he was sent to the Mountain View Sanitarium in Portland, Oregon. Another report said he was sent somewhere in Salem, Oregon. Uh, Some said he wasn't sent anywhere. (laughs) Oh, okay. We're going to we're going to come back to that. Okay. So, depending on which report you read, he was either released because there was nothing wrong with him or his brother Edward visited him. The doctors told Edward there didn't seem to be much else they could do and they recommended he be taken to some nearby hot springs. And when they did, John promptly escaped and then walked his way back home. Good for him. Good for him. Um Walking back to Winochi from, I mean, again, either Portland or Salem. I don't know. It varies from, like, 60 to 72 hours, depending on where exactly you're starting. But, like, good for That's you. far. Yeah. <laughs> I also appreciate the dedication to not taking any form of train. Like, no train, no carriage, not even, like, a horse. Also, that's before, like, m- any type of technology to show you how to get there. Walking? Yeah. He just walked. He was like, bro, I'm sick of people. I'm going to walk. 
Um, and this really cemented the not, not awesome relationship with his family, especially his brothers. Allegedly. Allegedly. When he got back home, he asked a fur trapper to deliver a message to his family saying, These are my woods. I want to be alone. <laughs> no, he's bad. Did he, did he say it with like... The, like, little star asterisk next to it so you know how to say it, like, in the whisper tone. In the Batman voice. Batman. He then said, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. He predicted the entire Batman story. He That's did. where it started. I'm Christian Bale. No way. <laughs> That's the origin. I'm the origin Batman. story. <laughs> uh, he also apparently purchased a shoebox full of ammo. Good for him. <laughs> so you Batman. remember? I hear a siren. I can't tell if it's coming closer. Okay. I can't hear it. So you remember how I said maybe none of this happened? <laughs> right. Yes, I do. Okay. So it should have been a warning sign from the get-go that all of the sources said something different. Um, Lindstrom, who is the author of the, the that, that book that's, you know, part fiction, part <laughs> not, Lindstrom believes that while Turnout did disappear from uh, family life around that time, there is no documentation to substantiate a claim that he was institutionalized. And part of why there's so many discrepancies is because John's brother, Fred, that's one of his other brothers, not Edward, but Fredward, actually named different sanitariums during different interviews. Oh. So this might be an instance of someone trying to rewrite history a little to paint a situation in a certain light. But also a real dummy for saying two different ones. Yeah, but here's the thing. No one's really, like, this is, him being in a sanitarium, this is what's widely reported everywhere. Every newspaper, hmm. every book, this is part of his narrative. It took so much digging to get to a point, and it was Lindstrom who I saw in an interview talking about it. He also, okay, so Lindstrom spent two days in 1990 with the director of the mental health department in Oregon. And they found no documentation that Torno was ever institutionalized in the state. Huh. But because the widespread story that was running in all the various papers at the time, because remember, it's not like people have the internet to look up inconsistencies. Right, right, right. This is one of the reasons why all of the newspapers say different things. Right. It's maddening. <laughs> <laughs> frustrating, it's, for sure. It's, it's frustrating, but it's really easy to happen. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and in fact, so in August of 1911, a warrant was issued for John Turner's arrest based on his brother Ed's claim that he was crazy, but the warrant didn't make mention of him escaping from an institution somewhere. And John Turner, like, had property. He had money in the bank. Um, there was, there was, like, a whole dispute going on with his parents' land after oh. they died. So, again, you have to wonder, did this play into that? That's fair. Now, we do know that the only family member he seemed to still like or have contact with was his sister. Uh, and even that was getting more limited. It, it seems like he, well, again, different report. This is, I'm so sorry I keep saying this, but there was so many inconsistencies. Uh, he either was constantly breaking into her home and stealing food from her um, and, like, not talking to her, just breaking in and, and stealing from things things from her or they were still talking um maybe she knew it was happening and, but she did not tell her husband that was that was something that was that was really emphasized again H henry her husband and john did not get along 
Um, he'd encounter people in the woods. Uh, some people wanted him taken into custody, but the sheriff was like, I mean, like, again, I get he's weird, but he hasn't really done anything. Like, being a crotchety asshole isn't illegal. If it was, I'd oh. be in jail right now. <laughs> Come I was on. waiting for that. That was just... I know, I can't, I can't help but sometimes see some of myself in John Torno. Oh, dear. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Thank you for that. <laughs> I was all for you, Gabby. I did it all for you. All for you, Gabby. Thank you, Damien. Hey. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you'd get that. I got it. Uh, okay, so there was another account that I could not verify, <laughs> but I wanted to share it because it's going to lead into where the story gets really sad. I was oh, not, okay, I'm not going to lie. When I first started looking into the story, it came out, you know, it was in, it was in some stories, uh, some collections of stories on Bigfoot and Wild Men and whatever. I was like, oh, this is like kind of a fun, cool, weird story. And the more I researched it, I was like, oh man, this is just sad. It reminded me of Lavinia Fisher a little where I went into it thinking it was going to be one thing. And when you start to actually look at the truth, you're like, this is a big bummer. Yeah, that's how I felt about the Winchester Mystery House. Yeah. And I I feel like that's a good thing to remember when you do hear these stories like this. Truth is rarely that whimsical when we're looking at and history. Generally just way more sad. Yeah. That's why it becomes whims- whimsical. Like super bummer stories don't make for great tours. <laughs> that's true. Okay, so um, this was a story I read about in Evergreen Ape, the story of Bigfoot by David Norman Lewis. It was September in 1911. It was the evening. Millie, John's, John's older sister, was having trouble sleeping. Her twin boys, Will and John, we talked about them earlier. They are now 19 years old. They've been tracking a bear that was spotted around the cow pasture and had not returned. The Uh-oh. boys, not the bear. <laughs> I was going to say. No. Boys did not come back from tracking this bear. Gunshots had been heard near the river. Um, a wounded bear was found. Oh. But they didn't find the. Oh, well, he wasn't wounded for much longer. <laughs> um, but there were no signs of the twins. Near where the bear was, they found a small shelter that appeared to have been one of John Tornos. Millie heard some noises in the kitchen. She went down to investigate. She found her brother. Um, now in this version of the story, it said he only ever came at night and she never told her husband what was happening. Uh, John was a big dude. I don't think I've mentioned that. He's, it was anywhere from 6'2 to 6'4 and he weighed over 200 pounds. Like, yeah, that's a big boy. He's a big dude and muscle. There's no fat on this dude. So Millie asks if he knows where the boys are. And he says, I didn't know it was them when I shot. I thought someone was shooting at me. Oh no. So there's debate over what exactly happened. And again, I don't know that this conversation actually happened or if it's something that just became incorporated in the lore. Sure. Um, the boys, though, were dead. Oh. One of the theories is that John had been poaching one of the cows and was startled by the shots when the twins were shooting at the bear. And he shot both the boys not knowing it was his nephew's. Um, there's a theory that the boys were out hunting him and not the bear and he shot them in self-defense. I don't buy that from what I could find. John was actually 
quite close with his nephews. I mean, as close as he was to anyone. He he adored Millie, and he taught the boys how to fish. He taught them how to hunt. Um, I I I do kind of believe that you know. Um, he was possibly butchering a cow he'd taken in his um, camp, and and that attracted the bear, and and that it was an accident that that they started shooting. They didn't real, or maybe even they saw their uncle and thought he was the bear because he's wearing furs or looks like a Bigfoot, big, looks like big a big, un, you know, yeah. looks like an animal, and and. John reacted on instinct. Again, he's a crack shot. He's not looking at what he's shooting at. He's just shooting right. to kill. Uh, there were different accounts for how the boys were found. The most consistent was that John Bauer was shot in the heart and died immediately, although some accounts said he was shot in the head. Oh. William turned and was shot in the side, which didn't kill him. Uh, he was then clubbed with a rifle. Oh. Again, I don't believe that personally. I think I, I think that's like intentional. If someone that's intentional, by a rifle. I, I I genuinely think that that he shot them, um, and when he realized what happened, he was very sorry. So I don't see him going over and clubbing. I think that was something that was again sensationalizing the story after the fact. Sure. Um, when the boys were found, their arms were crossed, their eyelids had been closed, and they had been shallowly buried. <laughs> Uh, so posses get sent out almost immediately, but all they did was locate some of his abandoned hideouts. There's sightings for him for months, mostly of him stealing or harassing people. Um, a break would come in February of 1912 when a trapper named Louis Blair came across an elk carcass. So they reported this to Deputy Colin McKenzie and a game warden, Al V. Elmer. Uh, they took their bloodhounds and went out tracking John. On March 9th, the dogs walked into Lewis Blair's camp without their owners. All right. Another posse is sent out trying to find the deputy and the game warden. Their bodies were found. Oh, no. The Times reported that after they started digging, they, quote, saw Elmer's upturned face. Uh, so this is now four victims dead at the hands of John Turneau. A three thousand dollar reward was offered for his capture. Although sometimes I saw it as four thousand, and sometimes five thousand. But uh, choose a number, any number. <laughs> pick a number. It was a lot of money. Uh, three thousand dollars then is about ninety four thousand dollars today. Countryside's in a bit of a panic, like almost an over panic. It's like the two other people who are killed. They're people that went out looking for him. He's not walking around the country randomly killing people. Um. Women and children are being told to stay inside. People are getting kind of trigger happy. A hunter would accidentally shoot a 17-year-old boy thinking he was John Torno. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of over the top. Um, when, like, the newspaper articles, they are wild. So this one ran in the Spokane Press on April 8th of 1912. It says, quote, <clears throat> first of all, try to picture John Torno, the beast man. Your mental picture should be of dead black eyes, glowing through lids narrowed to slits. From them shines a hate, insensate of all humankind. For John Turno is mad with hate and loneliness. 
You should visualize those dead black eyes as shining from under heavy, frowning brows. His loins are slim, comparatively, as a greyhound's, and when he moves, it is with the swift stealthiness of a panther. Picture him now, moving through the forest gloom. He goes bent forward from the waist, resting on the balls of his feet. He gropes rather than walks, with long, swinging distance killing stride, and never a twig snaps or a leaf rustles to herald his progress. What a description. <laughs> oh it's my so God. dramatic. It's also very comparative to, like, animals. Yeah. Like, that's all it is. And again, thinking back to this whole idea of a lot of Bigfoot sightings being of men like this who are living in the wilderness, who are more likely to be hairier because you're not shaven regularly and wearing animal skins. Not wearing as many actual clothes. Mm Mm-hmm. Possibly dirtier because they're not bathing as much. Maybe that's like what's mistaken as hair too. Like it could just mm-hmm. be just like matted, dreaded hair. Oh, absolutely. Like dirt. Absolutely. So on April 17th of 1913, Deputy Quimbley received word that John had been spotted near the Oxbow River and went out with Lewis Blair and his friend Charles Lathrop. Uh, they were going to find him. They were going to kill him. They tracked him to a small shelter near a small lake Quimbley wanted to go back and get more people which is smart be like Quimbley get more people getting people's a good idea Blair and Lathrop didn't want to share the reward money how do you think it ended for them not well not not great they split up they surrounded him Quimbley hears rifle fire and hides behind a bush he sees Blair's body fall. Lathrop tries shooting him, but he is shot in the neck. Ooh, that's not good. That's not where you want to be shot. Quimbley fired at Torno seven times. He would later describe him as large, bearded head, more gorilla than human. He sees Torno's head drop on the last shot. He later theorized that one of the only reasons he was able to get any shots in was that John Torno thought there were only two men. He didn't realize there was a third man. Uh, Quimbley waits a beat. He doesn't hear anything and he doesn't want to take chances. So he books it and runs to the nearest camp, which was either five miles away or 18 miles away, depending on which version you read. Uh, My guess is five. I, I would agree. But I saw some that were like, it was 18 miles he had to trek. And I'm like, really? If you'd said, like, eight miles, I would have been like, okay, but 18 miles. It's a very specific number, too. It's a very specific number. So a few days would go by before they were able to get enough people together to go look for for Torno and recover Lathrop and Blair's bodies. They found him dead. Uh, He had a bottle of strychnine in his pocket so he could kill himself. Allegedly. Again, uh, this is what some of the accounts said. At this point, I kind of doubt anything. Uh, He appeared to have been sustaining himself on a diet of elk meat and frogs. Delicious. They take him to the undertaker who said that he'd never encountered another human like him. His body was had the same build as a gorilla's all bone and muscle. There were rumors that he could be seen swinging from trees. What is this, Tarzan? I or it's the, the swinging Bigfoot. I don't know. Again, I don't know how much of this is is like just bullshit that happened after the fact. 
You'll never know. We'll never know. It's true. Um, I, I really, really, really want uh, that author to, like, write a just straight-up book. Just, like, like a historical just reference. Facts. Give me the facts. If, if some of it's anecdotes from family, great. You can say that. But give me... The facts that are facts and none of this other, none of this other stuff. Um, Detective Quimby, who, who was the one who, who shot Torno, would later say of, that he had the most horrible face I ever saw. Oh, no. The shaggy beard and long hair out of which gleamed two shining murderous eyes haunts me now. I could only see his face as he uncovered himself to fire a shot and all the hatred that could fire the soul of a human being was evidence. All of these reports are so dramatic. <laughs> so dramatic. People didn't have as much to do back then, so you had to make a good... Pre-internet. Um, Pre-internet. <laughs> the body was a spectacle at the morgue. About 250 people stormed wanting to see him. The Morning Oregonian reported, quote, fully 650 people passed through the room where the gaunt figure lay within a space of 30 minutes. 30 deputy sheriffs... Okay. Forced the crowd to move in single file and prevented by force tearing off bits of the ragged clothing from the corpse, cutting off locks of hair or whiskers, or cutting off pieces from the table where the cadaver lay. So his brother Fred came in to take the body and he told reporters, I'm glad John is dead. It was the best way now that it is over and I would rather see him killed outright than linger in a prison sale. Which I get. I was going to say I understand that. <laughs> It still doesn't make it great, no. but... Um, the family took the body for burial almost immediately, fearing this would uh, just kind of become an out-of-control thing. He was buried in the family graveyard, no gravestone, but later fans would make a tombstone for him that said, John Torno, from loner to outcast to fugitive. Uh, and you can now visit that gravestone. We have six confirmed deaths. Some people think it's possible he killed others. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. It seems like most of the deaths were linked to him. Like, it was all self-defense in his mind. Yeah, um, it wasn't intentional. Like, he wasn't seeking out people to kill. He was not seeking out people to kill. He was not some kind of, like, raving wild madman. I think... One, it's... I mean, what's super sad when you think about it is his sister at the end of the day... Her daughter Mary died of the botched abortion, and her twin sons were killed by her favorite brother. The brother she named one of her sons after. And so she had, had one child left. And her husband, I, I mean, her husband was kind of a dick. And it sounds like her husband may have left her after all of this. Like, it just, I just feel for the family. Um, and I also think this is absolutely an example of, of a man growing into legends, you know, becoming part of folklore um, where the story kept growing and growing uh, and trying to trace the facts for it were just... It's impossible. Man, it's impossible. It's it's rough. It's rough outside of, I think, again, like going in and just trying to track down family and, and grill them about what they know. Um, do I think Torno could have been responsible for some, like quote-unquote Bigfoot sightings at the time like who knows um I think it's it's absolutely believable that a lot of these these sightings that would happen could be wilder for all men I don't know that John Torno when all is said and done like people didn't talk about a monster in the woods they talked about him 
Yeah. Um, and honestly, again, I, I just think the story is sad and tragic more than anything else. And at the end, nobody's really happy. <laughs> what do you think, Gabby? <laughs> I just, I think it's funny to end it by saying, and in the end, nobody's really happy and laugh. <laughs> I did, Well, no, it's, again, it's, it's so funny to me. Like, I feel like I may have even mentioned to you when I was going to be doing this topic, like, oh, no, it should be a fun one. I thought yeah, this was going to be a fun one. Yeah, it's such a bummer when that happens. <sighs> it was not um, a fun one. Not a fun one, but I feel like it's still interesting just in a different way. Yeah. But, like, it is sad, and it's. I feel like it's – I almost want to analyze it in a deeper way than how we've talked about, where, like, someone is an outcast from society and how they're treated. And that's not necessarily because they're a – hairy man in the woods, you know, just trying to get by. But it could be like living and breathing in everyday life that we see now and people that still treat it the same way. And it's just like, obviously not the exact same, but like metaphorically speaking, like if we're looking at like this type of situation, like how did it get to that point for him? But see, the thing is, is that he was a happy outcast. He wanted to be alone in the woods. He felt at peace in the woods. He felt at peace with animals. He loved just... Being alone. And so for but me, I guess. people wouldn't let him. Well, but mm, they wouldn't let him after the horrible thing that happened with his nephews. Which was um, an accident. Which was, was and, and honestly, if he had maybe, if he had stayed there and immediately come forward and been like, this was a horrible accident, um, he probably wouldn't have been found responsible. Because you could see how that would happen. Like, yeah. it's a tragic accident, but it was not something he intentionally did. But I I think he, if he had just been left alone, everything would have been fine. He was happy, and, and he wasn't bothering people, but he wanted to be in the woods. He didn't want to be part of society. He didn't like people. He didn't no, like most of point. his family. I think it, when I said, how did it get to that point, I meant of, like, the murders and people coming for him and, like, the way all that went down. Yeah. So, like, I, I think when someone is isolated like that in the woods for a long time, maybe the common sense isn't there the way it would be for people who live in a society. To your point of, like, well, why didn't he just come out and say it was an accident and he would have been treated differently? Maybe he just didn't think that way because he yeah. hadn't been around people for so long. Because and he his, didn't want he, to be. Sure. And so maybe he... Like, it was scared to be around people after not being around people for so long. Didn't know what to say. Or, like, I'm just hypothesizing, you know? Like, no, I don't know. I'm not him. I went but, from, like, it from could what also, I was reading, I think it just... It's like fight or flight, you know? It was kind of like that, like, knee-jerk reaction to just, like, disappear again and yeah. not face it, you and, know? And people who invaded his space, he's going to take care of. If he feels like he's threatened, he's going to take care of it. And then it creates this literal monster-like idea that people on the outside have of this dude that just wants to be left alone. Yeah. And this this false boogeyman. Um, yeah. But no, it just... Uh, I just can see, like, laterals and examples of things that have happened like that throughout time. Maybe not with an exact, like, wild man in the woods. But, like, people that have had situations like this where something goes awry... It's not resolved the right way. And then it just kind of like, you know what? I know this is a silly comparison, but it kind of reminds me of Beauty and the Beast a little bit. Like, even though it's not, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. Maybe I'm tired. It's fine. (laughs) I'm just going to just do a Nick Miller to that one. Uh, 
But yeah, anyway, I think it's an interesting story. I think it's definitely one that I can understand how it would be really exciting to be like, ooh, Bigfoot. Ooh, there's this guy. It's a Mm -hmm. wild man. Oh, oh, sad. Yeah. (laughs) I can see how that would happen very, very quickly with this one. And, you know, I I first, like, really read about him in the... The Evergreen Ape, the story of Bigfoot. And I think that was in my mind was like, oh, cool. We can go down this whole rabbit hole of like people who've been mistaken for Bigfoot. And but yeah, it just it's it, it turned it, it turned out differently. It turned out differently than I thought. You know, we go down rabbit holes sometimes and it doesn't always turn out the way we anticipated turning out. It, it doesn't. It's it's oh, man. But hey, better to know like the truth than not. You no, know? I know. Well, and even then, I'm angry because I wanted to find better truth. I wanted I to. I was going to say this one didn't even have like no validation of truth. No. It was more. I, I I at some point I stopped reading newspaper articles because there was so much bullshit, and like yeah. bullshit that I knew was bullshit. Some there there are some absolutes like the deaths, the death days, sure. and the family members, things that I could trace census and birth certificates and death certificates. Right. Um, and when some of that was wrong, you were just like, okay, that's just lazy. That's just lazy. It's also hard to reference it when you know it's wrong. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, I don't know about you, but, like, when I see something that it's conflicting, like, and I know you feel the same way because you say it. Like, it's so hard to, <laughs> well, some, but allegedly, that's where our allegedly came from, yeah. is where uh, And if you were playing the allegedly drinking game today, you're oh. dead now, and I'm sorry. <laughs> At least we didn't do it with you this time. <laughs> that's true. Uh, no, it was just, this was, this was not the case I thought I would be covering. When I started researching it, I feel like we've we've been there. We've been here before. We've (laughs) been down this road before. That tree looks familiar. We have been down this road, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks for bringing a Bigfoot-ish topic that's also true crimey and a lot less Bigfoot than I thought. Sorry, (laughs) that's what she said. That's what she Um, said. Maybe she said that I didn't hear. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) good job. Thank you. And this brings us to. Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, <laughs> what you watching right now? Uh, I went and saw the new Spider-Verse movie. Ooh, I heard briefly from you that it was the best thing you've seen in a long time. Uh, if this does not make my top ten of the year, I, I, I don't know what else must be coming out because, damn. Um, that good. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought um, after the first movie, um, I I kind of felt like, okay. I was a little worried, like, you know, a lot of times with sequels, you're like, are you just going to kind of redo the whole thing? Redo the whole thing. But yeah. I thought it was, it was, it expanded the world, expanded the universe in a way that, that worked. Cool. And the universe getting bigger is not always something that works in some movies, but this this really did. Uh, the animation style is is just spectacular. Is always um, Hobie Spider Punk is maybe my new favorite character ever. Uh, it just it it really it hit all the things I wanted. Um, he's growing up. Miles is growing up. He's having to deal with the problems that come as you get older and conflict with his parents and with the girl he likes. Uh, 
Yeah, it just, I I really, really enjoyed it. And so if you liked the first, I can't imagine you not liking the second one. Um, I loved the first. Again, it made my top 10 of the year when it came out. Uh, I also watched a show. It's new on Peacock called Based on a True Story. Have you seen this advertised? I've been watching more things on Peacock because Terrence got it, but mm. I haven't seen this one. No. You should watch it. It's eight okay. episodes. They're like 30-minute episodes. I mean, I think I watched it one evening. I binged the whole thing because it, it went nice. quick. And the premise of it is is uh, it's Los Angeles. Oh. And this guy, so what, Chris Messina, uh, he's, he used to be a, a tennis player, and now he teaches tennis at like a country club and has to deal sure. with all these these women and uh but he's you know he's getting older so he's not the hot young thing anymore and his wife kaylee quoku cuckoo quaku i have no idea who this is so the 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 the, the big bang lady oh yes yeah i can't say her name uh she's also like the about. flight attendant or something um, yes she she's the wife and she's pregnant and she's trying to sell real estate and they're really struggling financially and she's obsessed with true crime. Huh. And so there's this local serial killer and this is this is not really giving spoilers because this is all things that happened in the first episode. Nice. They figure out the identity of the killer and decide to blackmail them into doing a podcast with them. <laughs> A true crime podcast. And so it's, I mean, like the whole thing is, is, you know, very, very critical of, of the true crime genre, but also as somebody who likes the genre, there's times you're just like, respect respect, and times you're like, yeah, that's fair. That is absolutely how we behave. Um, (laughs) There, I need to watch it now. It's, it's, it's really up your alley. Um, The performances are really strong. Uh, there's times where the story, the payoff isn't quite what you want, but I'm okay with it because the actors are so great. Okay, that's um, fair. And again, it's an easy watch. It's it's eight episodes and they go quick. So uh, yeah, I I would say absolutely check that out, especially if you're a true crime fan, because there's there's a lot of stuff in it that you will have a good chuckle over. Nice. I definitely will check that out. I feel like that's something I needed a new thing to put on my my watch list. So I will definitely add that to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually watched a a show that I also think you would like. I don't think we've talked about this on Creepy Critics Corner yet, Um, but it's on Prime Mm -hmm. and it's called Jury Duty. Have we talked about this? You know, it's funny as someone else was just talking to me about this show. So okay, we have not well, talked gonna, about it, but yeah. But you know what I'm talking I about, do. but you haven't seen it I yet? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so I'm going to tell our listeners if they haven't heard about this yet. So Jury Duty has, first of all, I heard about it initially when I was listening to Marcy Jero and Betsy Sodaro's podcast, A Funny Feeling, because mm-hmm. they had one of the actors that was in Jury Duty mm-hmm. on as a guest mm-hmm. talking about Jury Duty before it came out. So I heard about the premise and was like, huh, this sounds really interesting. And so here's the premise of it. The premise is everyone in the show is an actor uh, who knows an idea of what's going to happen, but it's really mostly improv with like some generalized outline of a script. And there's one person in the show who is a regular, per- regular dude, like not at all an actor. And the he's told 
by this camera crew that they're doing a documentary on people that go into jury duty. And so he's a part of this jury on this trial, and James Marsden is in it playing himself, James Marsden, but like a more asshole version of himself, which is really funny to watch. Um, And I don't know him personally, so I can't say how he is in real life, but like he talked about it being like, oh yeah, no, I definitely was like playing like one of those dick actors that's just like really obsessed with himself. And so like that was the role he was playing for himself. Mm -hmm. But um, basically what they did was they had a courthouse and this is so funny it was filmed in studio city which is where i used to live and i recognized like all of the surrounding areas when i was watching it but they just basically are punking the guy who doesn't know what's going on like 90 percent of the time and waiting for him to be like is this reality tv what's going on like and so it's really really well written but it's subtle and like he ends up being like the sweetest kindest most humble dude that like is inclusive to everybody around him. And it's just super heartwarming and really sweet to see him like flourish as the human that he actually is and not be an actor acting. Like it's just who he is as a person. Right. Um, And uh, they reveal it to him at the end. It's very funny. Um, So anyway, it's real. It's not spoiling anything. Literally, you go into the show with that premise, knowing that all of these are actors acting, um, except for the one guy. And it's a really interesting spin on doing, it's like kind of reality, but kind of improv, but also kind of written. It's a really interesting way of putting things together. And it's on Prime. You can watch it there. It's very funny. Highly recommend. Nice. Um, And it's also pretty quick. I think the episodes are like 30 minutes or less. It's very easy to just binge the whole thing. Nice. Um, But I also watched The New Little Mermaid. Mm. And I have opinions. Have you seen it yet? I don't care. You don't care. I, I care. hate the Little Mermaid as a story, so okay. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I want to support <laughs> that. I want to support like their casting, yeah. but I also the the Disney live action ones are not my are not my jam. So I I would agree with you a hundred percent. I usually do not like the Disney live actions. I have seen all of them, but the Little Mermaid for me was a film that had a huge impact on me as a kid. Like that was my favorite movie from my entire childhood. And I was like, you think I get obsessed about things now? You should have seen me when I was five, like loved everything little mermaid. And so not only was I very excited to go to a movie theater where there were not kids allowed, it was a 21 and older theater that like served food and drinks. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I don't need to be around a million children when I go see this movie. But like, Not to say I don't like kids, but, like, I just, you know, wanted to have a nice, quiet Friday night movie. I was also on the more emotional side just because of life recently, and I lost my shit crying in this movie like I was a small child, Um, like, twice. And I was just sitting there trying so hard not to, like, make a sound (laughs) when I was seeing, like, part of your world and the end. It was, I, I actually really liked it a lot. And there were some scenes that I was like, this is stupid. Why did they do this? This is a terrible choice. No <laughs> one needs to be rapping in The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Period. I've heard all the because okay. I, I, I've played the music in some of my pre-K drama classes. And I have to say, there's some, like, I love David Diggs in, uh, from Hamilton, but, like, he does not seem like the best choice for Sebastian. No. No. And, like, there were certain things that I will absolutely nitpick about it because 
this is a movie near and dear to my heart. Sure. But one of the things I really enjoyed about it, first of all, Halle Bailey was incredible. I have like heard she, that consistently. She's she's really genuinely awesome. She's also the only person that they have cast for a Disney lead in a live action who is first and foremost a musician and not an actor. Mm-hmm. And so, and not like a Broadway person, but like a actual like billboard musician. Sure. Yeah. And so she is this like incredible, incredible voice. Does it does a more than justice for this music. And I think that's what really got me more than anything was the the score and the mm-hmm. music and everything. It really like I'm like getting chills talking about it now. I'm like such a five year old. But they left out one of my favorite songs. Le Poisson. And yes. Yeah, they did. Was really sad about yeah. that. Um it's crowd and pleaser. then like how do you get how do you sing a song about under the sea with a bunch of like a bunch of creatures that play instruments and have a band, and none of the creatures are playing instruments or are in a band. Like, to me, that was, like, big miss. However, overall, I will just say I really liked it. I would see it again. And I think that part of it is because I have the nostalgia. Oh, sure, And it of course. did affect yeah. me, like, super strongly. But I do think that they did, like, cast the right person for Ariel. And um, Melissa McCarthy, there's a lot of, like, uh, she was good. She I, she sounded just like Ursula, like talking. I was like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. this is cool." Um, the makeup was so bad, um, and yeah. it's wild. I was reading about this that there yeah. was, um, and, and like I'm not. First of all, like if you're gonna do a elaborate makeup like that, like a drag looking makeup that looks like a cartoon character makeup, make it even, make it balanced, make it yeah. look good if you're gonna do it. And it was just kind of sloppily done. And yeah. I was even reading that the artists had said, well, they wanted to make it look like Ursula did it herself. She did it herself in the in the in the cartoon and she was perfectly Yeah, I she know, it was flawless. I don't think that's I don't think that's a, a detail that people are needing to see in the character development of Ursula. That's yeah. stupid in my opinion. No. Um and if you're going to take it on, do it. Do a good job at it. I don't think you need to necessarily be a drag queen to do a drag makeup, yeah. but I think that you should at least make it look good. Um, clearly, I have opinions. Anyway, I thought it was very good. I think that there are certain things that could always be better, sure. sure. It was kind of choppy in certain points and didn't have a great flow to it. Mm-hmm. And there was like an entirely new section in it that didn't exist prior. It was very obvious that uh, Lynn Manuel. Miranda, he wrote a lot of what was in there. It was like, okay, so we're watching Hamilton now. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, like, there there was a bit of a vibe there, but he is a very talented human and, like, respect. I just think that there is a time and place for certain things that sure. were not, shouldn't have been there. Um, <laughs> but I really liked it overall. So, like, I'll be critical, but I also will say it's probably the best live-action Disney movie that's been done. So if you want to see it, go see it. But I actually went to the movies, Kim. You don't do don't that very often, go to the no. Movies, so. And see, I do it all the time, and I don't want to. You still see won't it, go see that. No. <laughs> no. Um, That's you know, just wait till it comes out on Disney Plus. Then no. maybe check it out. Then I don't know. But I, I've never, I, I, I've never liked Little Mermaid. I really don't like the messaging of a girl giving up her voice because she likes a boy. Um, I that's that, that's that's never been something yeah. I'm like. Yay! Even when I was a kid, I was like that bitch. Um, like what? Yeah, I feel like I just was too young to even just differentiate when I really loved it when I was little, 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 little. I was pretty little. But. I still, but but again, I I was I liked Beauty and the Beast because Belle liked books yeah. and I liked yeah. books. That I also was really always liked my, Beauty and the Beast. Like that the was, live action was. Hmm. Yeah, but again, none of the live actions are particularly good, in yeah. my opinion. But um, 
No, I, I was never a Little Mermaid. I remember I directed Little Mermaid. Jeez, it was a number of years ago now. And during callbacks, I told the girls singing for Ariel, I was like, I hate the song Part of Your World. Like, I loathe you that song. told loathe me it. this yeah. before. I remember. And, and the, the girl who makes me not hate this song is the one that I will cast as Ariel. <laughs> And uh, again, Kim and I are very different humans yeah, on true. many levels. This is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I liked it. So that's take good. that that's with awesome. whatever grain of salt you will. But uh, I mean, I like plenty of things that you're not going to like too. That's fair. We all have our opinions. This is why <laughs> we, all have our I taste. Think we gel well because mm-hmm. we don't like the same things sometimes. That's sometimes totally we do. Fine. And we tend to have um, different things to share for Creepy Critics Corner, and that makes it fun. Versatility, friends. <laughs> Versatility. Versatility. Having said that, thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, if you want to find us anywhere, just check us out anywhere on the internet. Look up Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. You'll find us. Um, if you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a review. We haven't seen one in, in a while. We haven't had one since, like, November. So if anyone wants to leave <gasps> us a review, we would be very appreciative of that. A good that. review. Good. Good one, please. Yeah, that's the, the, the detail we like to hear. Um, and then also... We have our Patreon, our Patreon, which Patreon just recently had uh, bloopers, spring bloopers mm. were released. Um, we also had a um, ghoulside chat that was released for nice. all of our patrons. So ghoulside chat is usually only for ghouls, but we released it to everyone in case you like to get more content, get a little mm. taste of, you know, what we do. Check out our Patreon. Uh, nice. It doesn't require a lot of contribution. You could do $2 a month. Whatever would work for your financial situation, we understand and appreciate any contribution that you have for us. Um, but yeah, anyway, having said that, thanks for listening. And stay, stay.